So 1 John 3, 24 through 1 John 4, verse 6 is our scripture text for this evening. 1 John 3, 24 through 4, verse 6. This is God's word, 1 John 3, 24. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it's already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And that ends the reading of, of God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this great passage of your word. We pray that you would give us discernment. Discernment to know uh, what is true and what is false. The, the ability to see by the power of your spirit's when someone is teaching the truth of your word and when someone is distorting your word and trying to pass it off as truth. I pray that you give us great discernment to test the spirits, to test doctrines that are floating out there in the world today and and coming at us. I pray that you would protect us and help us to know the truth. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I would say there, there's never been a time in history where people are bombarded with more ideas daily than we are today. Uh, with the rise of the internet and especially social media, you're probably hit with at least hundreds of ideas on a daily basis if you scroll through social media pages. And although in modern times, We have been able to scale up how many ideas the average person is able to share with a large audience via the Internet. People have always been exchanging ideas. That's something that's not new. It's just on a larger and easier scale today. And it's not necessarily a bad thing to be exchanging ideas. However, when it comes to the Christian worldview, we have to be discerning about what we accept. Discernment, it's been said, is knowing the difference between what is right and what is almost right. And that's right. It's easy to see, for example, how atheists might deny the fundamentals of the Christian faith. That's obvious. They deny that God exists. It doesn't take a lot of discernment to recognize they're teaching something contrary to the word of God, right? But it's not necessarily as easy to see through people who say things that sound right, and they they claim to be biblical and they're quoting the Bible, Yet, in reality, they are denying fundamentals of the Christian faith. And that's the issue that John here is going to address for us in this text. We need to see, we need to test the doctrines that people teach to see whether or not they are true. 
And sometimes that takes careful examination. So before we get into that, let's back up a second here and see how John approaches this issue. So if you look at chapter 3, verse 24, the last verse of chapter 3, let's, let's read that together again. He says, The one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Now that last phrase of that verse is really important. He's saying we know that we're saved because he's given us the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now the question is, how do you know that you have the Holy Spirit? Right? That's, that's the big question. It's really no different than saying, how do I know if I've been born again? It's the same type of question there. So we can know, just as John has shown throughout the book, we can know that we have the Holy Spirit or we can know that we're born again because the Holy Spirit bears specific fruit in the lives of his people. In fact, that's what he says in verse 24 itself. He says, the one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. Now, that word commandments also has a context. It goes back to the verse right before it, verse 23, which says this. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and and love one another just as he commanded us. So in this context, the commands of God are believing in the true Jesus and loving the brothers. Now that's expanded even further earlier in the book that that includes doing what is right or obeying God's commands. So we've seen this this cyclical pattern in John of of him laying out these tests to see whether you're born again. Do you keep the commandments? Do you love the brothers? Do you believe in the true Jesus? And he does that a few times. Let's look at some of that again. Let's go, go backwards from where we are backwards through the book of John, 1 John. The first thing, the Spirit makes us obey the commands of God. He's been saying that for a few chapters now. In 1 John 3.10, he says, By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God nor does the one who does not love his brother. So there's that test of obeying the commandments. He said in 1 John 2, 29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. So practicing righteousness, there again. 1 John 2, verse 3, by this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Okay, so that test of do you keep the commandments, that's evidence that you're born again. He's been talking about that over and over again. Another test is, do you love the brothers? He's been saying that as well. 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Very straightforward. Again, 1 John 2, 9 and 10. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there's no cause for stumbling in him. So he's been talking about that second test. Do you love the brothers? So do you practice righteousness? Do you love the brothers? Then the third test he's been talking about is who do you believe in? The true Jesus or a false Jesus? 1 John 2, 22 to 24. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you which you've heard from the beginning. If what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. So he's saying there, believe in the true Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ who has come in the flesh. So we can know 
that Christ abides in us, that we are truly saved because he's given us his spirit. And because we have his spirit, the spirit bears certain fruit in us. And the fruit that John wants us to focus on is, do you keep his commands? Do you love the brothers? And do you believe in the true Jesus and his true gospel, of course? So it's this last test here of, do you believe in the true Jesus that John's coming back to again here in the beginning of chapter four? So the doctrinal test, what do you believe or who do you believe in truly? So John's going to explain here the differences between true teachers and false teachers and then true uh, Christians and false Christians and how we can tell the difference with regard to what the false teachers teach and the false Christians believe. So if you believe the truth about Jesus, that's one evidence that you're saved. And if you believe in a false Jesus, then that's an evidence that you're not saved. That's the issue here. So therefore, John says, we need to be discerning about what we believe, the doctrinal test. So look at 1 John 4.1 as he approaches this issue of the doctrinal test yet again. 1 John 4.1, test the spirits. He says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Let's stop there. So after just saying that we know that we're saved because we have the Holy Spirit, he says, don't think that everything that people speak by is the Holy Spirit. Or in other words, don't think that every uh, a teaching is from the Holy Spirit. He's saying, test the spirits. Don't accept everyone who claims to be speaking from God. You see, just claiming to speak the word of God doesn't necessarily mean that you are, in fact, speaking the word of God. So John specifically says, don't believe everything you hear. He says, do not believe every spirit. Now, what's he mean by by spirit there, believing a spirit or not believing a spirit? We've seen this before in chapter two, but he brings it up again. Behind every human teacher is a spirit. It's either the Holy Spirit who teaches the truth in the Bible, or it is a demonic spirit who teaches false doctrines. Every spirit carries certain doctrines that it teaches, and it uses humans to teach that, of course. So in a sense here, the word spirit could be used interchangeably with doctrine, the doctrine that they teach. In other words, it's like saying, when he says, don't believe every spirit, he could put it this way, don't believe what every spirit teaches. Or in other words, don't believe every doctrine that people teach. So when John says not to believe every spirit, he's saying, don't believe every doctrine that you hear. Because not every doctrine that you hear is from the Holy Spirit. It could very well be from some other spirit. So he says here in in verse 1, he says, to test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So we want to see, is the origin of this teaching from God or from a, from a, from a spirit that's not God, a, a false prophet, somebody who claims to be speaking for God, but in reality isn't? So we're not to believe everything that we hear. Instead, we're supposed to test what we hear and see whether the doctrine we're being taught really is, in fact, from God. Now, this issue of testing doctrine it's nothing new here in 1 John. Uh, God had been teaching his people throughout the whole Bible to test doctrine. In the book of Deuteronomy, 
uh, two tests were given to see if a prophet was a true prophet from God, whether the person was truly speaking a word from God. Now, the first test was this. Did the thing the prophet prophesied come true? Okay, so in Deuteronomy 18, it says this, verses 20 and 22, 20 to 22. But the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. You may say in your heart, how will we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? So the question is, how do I know if somebody is really speaking from God or not? And this is God's answer. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. In other words, he says, this will happen. And then nothing happens. He's, he's wrong. And God says, I never prophesy something wrong. Okay, so that, that somebody says they're a prophet, but their prophecy doesn't come true. Then they're obviously a false prophet. So that was one test. Now, the second test given Deuteronomy is very interesting. The question is, does the prophet teach something inconsistent with the word of God? Now, the reason that this test is interesting is that the second test is considered weightier than that first test. In other words, the prophet could possibly pass the first test and fail the second test and still be considered a false prophet. In other words, their prophecy could come true, but if they teach false doctrine, they're still a false prophet. Listen to what God says, Deuteronomy 13, 1 to 3. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true, however, concerning which he spoke to you saying, let us go after other gods whom you have not known and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. You see what God's saying there? The prophet taught something contrary to God's word. Namely, in this case, let's go serve other gods. Yet his prophecy, in one way or another, accidentally came true. And God says, it doesn't matter. He can show you every sign and wonder in the world, but if he teaches something contrary to my word, he is a false prophet. Do not listen to him. God says, don't listen to the prophet who teaches things contrary to the revelation he had previously given to his people, even if the prophecy comes true. So a true prophet needs to speak consistently with what God has revealed. And of course, his prophecies would come true if he's a true prophet as well. Now, in the New Testament, the famous Bereans in Acts utilized that ultimate test of examining things via the word of God. And they did that with the Apostle Paul's teaching and were commended for it in Scripture. In Acts 17, 10 to 12, he says, The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now, this is how how it describes them. Now, these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. So they took what was being taught by Paul and they said, let's look at the scriptures. Let's see if what what he is saying is consistent with the word of God. That was a noble-minded thing they were doing. They're commended for it. And of course, since what was being taught was biblical, it says, therefore, many of them believed, along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. So the examination of doctrine via the scriptures 
was commended as noble-minded. Paul himself tells us to, uh, to test doctrine as well. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 and 21, he says, Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to what is good. So he's saying don't reject teaching altogether, but examine everything that's being taught carefully and hold fast to what's good, what's true that people are saying. So we're not to believe everything that somebody says about the Bible. We should examine what he is saying and look for biblical support to his claims. But we should not reject teachers of God's word just outright. We should examine what they're teaching and make sure that what they're saying is actually biblical. So John here in 1 John, as well as the rest of the Bible, teaches us to test the doctrines that people teach, recognizing that there are, in fact, many false teachers out there in the world. Look at that word there in verse 1 there. Many. And it shouldn't surprise us then that when we examine people's doctrines, you will find a lot of it is false because there are many false prophets or false teachers out there in the world. I can tell you from personal experience talking to people on the street about the gospel, there are many people who believe in false gospels and they call themselves Christians and are in churches around here. They would say that they're very concerned with the truth and things like that. If you listen long enough and you ask enough questions, the false teaching comes out as plain as day. There are many. There are indeed many false teachers. So since, according to this and the whole Bible, we must test the spirits to see whether a teaching is from God, let's look at in more detail how we can go about testing whether a teacher's doctrine is from God or not. So let's look at verses 2 and 3 as he elaborates. 1 John 4, 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming and is now already in the world. Now, the test that John gives here for this specific issue about who Jesus really is, is ultimately the same as that higher test in Deuteronomy of, is what they're teaching consistent with the word of God? The test is objective in that way. Is the teaching consistent with scripture? Is the doctrine consistent with what God has previously revealed? In this case, what John's addressing is the issue that surrounds the false teaching that John had been refuting throughout this book, those early Gnostics, the Gnostic teachers. Remember those early Gnostics and and what they taught. They taught that the physical world was a bad thing and that it was unimportant. They therefore taught that God opposed the physical and therefore that it would be impossible for God to actually come in human flesh because he opposed the physical world in that way. So they would teach a a docetic teaching, that is that Jesus only seemed to be uh, human but wasn't really human. He he, He appeared to be but wasn't actually a human being. And John keys in on this crucial uh, doctrinal issue that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah who has come in the flesh. That is, he's truly human. That's what he says here. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So that's the key doctrinal issue. Who is Jesus really? Now, additionally, John's probably addressing Uh, a contemporary false teacher named Serinthus. That was one who lived in John's day. He taught something known as Serinthianism. And that teaching involved 
that Jesus was not the Christ uh, inherently, but that this separate entity, the spirit of Christ, came upon this guy Jesus at his baptism, and then that spirit of Christ departed from him before he went to the cross. Now, what John is saying, no, Jesus is the Christ who came in the flesh. He didn't become the Christ sometime later on. He is eternally the Christ. Okay? He was and is and will, forever will be the Christ. So Serentius divided Jesus from the spirit of Christ. And John says, no, you can't do that. Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah who came in the flesh. He was born as a human being. So this is John's great doctrinal test to see, some, see if somebody's speaking from the Holy Spirit or not, or from a demonic spirit. Do they teach the apostolic doctrine of who Jesus really is? That Jesus is truly God who truly became a man, who truly came in the flesh, truly God and truly a man. That Jesus has been, is, and always will be the Christ. John says that if you teach the true Jesus, then you're teaching the truth of God. You are teaching from God. Now, on the other hand, verse 3. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. He's saying if you don't teach the true Jesus, then you're not from God. Okay? Your teaching is incompatible with God's word, and therefore it's not true. God never contradicts himself. So it can never be the case that, that Jesus is truly man, but he's also not truly man. Or that he's truly always the Christ, but he's also not always the Christ. God never contradicts himself. In fact, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but is yes in him. God doesn't say yes and no about the same thing at the same time. Contradictions are always false, and therefore God's not going to contradict himself, especially concerning his son, but about anything. God's words never yes and no. It cannot be the case that Jesus is truly God and truly man, and at the same time is not truly God and is not truly man. That's why John can say it's either one or the other here. You're confessing the true Jesus or you're not. So if someone teaches that Jesus is not truly God and not truly man, he's contradicted God and he's a false teacher. That's what he's saying here. It's plain, as plain as can be. Now John calls the teaching that Jesus is not the Christ come in the flesh, he calls that the spirit of Antichrist. Now remember in this context, spirit uh, can refer to the demonic spirit that carries a false doctrine and also can be kind of interchangeably used as the doctrine itself. Uh, that the teaching that the spirit is, is carrying, that demonic spirit is teaching. So you can think of the phrase spirit of Antichrist as the teaching of Antichrist or, or the heresy of Antichrist or what have you. The Antichrist heresy teaches that Jesus is not truly God and not truly man and that Jesus is not the Christ who has truly come in the flesh. It's an anti-the-true-Christ teaching. And the church that John is writing to here knew, according to him, that there would be false prophets who would be in the world. And John reminds them that these false prophets who teach Antichrist doctrine are already out there in the world. He said that in 1 John 2.18 as well. Children, it's the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. 
So those antichrists, plural, are false teachers who teach this antichrist heresy, that Jesus is not the Christ who came in the flesh. Yet these false teachers, of course, would not call themselves false teachers. They would say they're speaking the truth of God. That's why John tells us here we have to test the spirits by examining what they're teaching. Whether what they're teaching is consistent with what God has revealed about himself in the past. And that's the ultimate way to test the spirits. Is the teaching biblical? That's what he's saying here. Are they teaching what the apostles taught about Jesus or something contradictory to it? And that's what John wants us to get. So where we fall on this issue of who Jesus really is tells us where we stand before God. Tells us if we're saved. Do we believe the truth about Jesus or do we believe a false Jesus? This is, this is going to be crucial evidence to see whether or not someone's a true Christian. We'll see that here in the next few verses. Look at verse 4, 1 John 4, 4. He says, You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Now, the, the phrase, you have overcome them, the them is the false teachers teaching this false Christ. He says, you, true believers, you've overcome those false teachers. You have undone them. How? By rejecting their claims. You have overcome the false teachers because you deny what they teach. You can destroy the power of false teachers simply by rejecting their false teaching. Do you know that? False teaching is only harmful when it's believed by people. Think about Acts 20, uh, 29 and 30. Paul speaking to the elders of Ephesus before he goes. He's warning about false teachers and he says I know that after my departure savage wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock and from among them from among your own selves men will arise speaking perverse things why to draw away the disciples after them so false teachers speak false things why to draw disciples after themselves but think about it if nobody follows them they have no power that's the whole aim for false teachers, to get a following. If nobody listens to them, they have no, they have no power. For example, think of Kenneth Copeland. Kenneth Copeland is a notorious uh, prosperity preacher. He's a billionaire. The false teacher who preaches that prosperity gospel. If nobody listened to him, if nobody believed anything that he said, he would just be considered some crazy old man, wouldn't he? And because, but it's because he has so many followers and he's gained so much wealth via those followers that he's so influential and powerful. He got that following. If people would ignore him, what is he? He's nothing. So we have overcome false teachers, the, the people here that John's talking to. He says, you've overcome them because you've tested their teaching, you've recognized it's false, and you've rejected what they've said. And that's what we have to do as well to overcome false teachers is to test it, recognize its error and reject it. Now, true Christians, he's saying true Christians are never ultimately taken away into heresies. Heresies are those things that deny the fundamentals of of Christianity. If you if you believe a heresy, you're believing something that that's not Christian. Um, It's not considered in the realm of orthodoxy of what makes a, true Christian, uh, makes a true Christian faith with regard to doctrine. So true Christians are never taken into things that deny the fundamentals of the Christian faith. So the question is, why? Why do true Christians always stick to the truth 
uh, ultimately? And the answer is, is rather simple. Jesus told us in John 10, talking about himself, about the, the shepherd and the sheep. He says, to him, to the shepherd, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep, that's us, hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he, put, when he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. Listen, a stranger, they simply will not follow but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. So Jesus is saying, you're going to overcome false teachers because you know my voice. And when somebody is speaking in my name, but is a false prophet, a false teacher, you'll know it. You won't follow after those, those perverse doctrines. So we overcome false, false teaching because we hear the voice of Jesus speaking in the scriptures when we read it. And when we hear people speaking the truth, uh, of God's word. It's, it's Jesus's word coming to our ears. Now, we also know that Jesus abides in us and we're going to know his voice because of that. It says that here in 1 John 4, 4. He says, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Saying so you've overcome false teachers because Jesus abides in you and Jesus is greater than Satan. Christ is the one who is in us. He who is in the world is, he who is, in the world is Satan and Christ overcomes Satan. So no matter how many false teachings Satan throws out into the world, Christ's true people will always overcome those teachings and reject those false teachings because the Holy Spirit indwells them and and they abide in Christ and Christ abides in them. Now notice here, though, the glory of overcoming false teachers goes to God, not to us. It's Jesus who is greater than the false teachers, not me and you in and of ourselves. It's, it's Jesus who, who teaches us the truth. The Holy Spirit enables you to understand the truth contained in Scripture. So you're not taken in by heresies, by false teachers. So that's why believing the truth of God's word and rejecting heresy is a sign of true conversion. Because the Holy Spirit holds on to his people and teaches them the truth so that they don't go off into heresies. We need the Holy Spirit to, to make us understand the truth. John Calvin said this about the importance of the Holy Spirit. He says, unless the spirit of wisdom is present, there is little or no profit in having God's, God's word in our hands. Why is that? That's, that's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? He's saying, because without the Holy Spirit, you will not know and understand God's word. You will not be able to see truth from error, to discern the difference. The Holy Spirit teaches us via his word in scripture. So this is the big contrast here between the false teachers and the true teachers, as well as false Christians and true Christians. What they believe and what they teach about the vital doctrines of the faith, which in this case is about who Jesus really is, what they believe separates true believers and false believers, true teachers and false teachers. Look at verse 5 here. He says, They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world. And the world listens to them. Now, again, the they is the false teachers. So the people teaching the Antichrist heresy, they're not from God, as John noted before. They are from the world. That is, they're unbelievers. That's what he's saying. They're unbelievers. And notice what he says. And guess what? The world listens to them. And that's no surprise, is it? Unbelieving teachers attract unbelievers. False teachers attract fake Christians. The doctrines are worldly, so they attract worldly hearers. 
And that shouldn't be surprising to anyone. The point is that false teachers deny the truth about Jesus and fake Christians gladly follow that false teaching. The fact that false teachers teach false doctrine concerning who the true Jesus is proves they're not Christians. Because they're not believing in the true Jesus. Likewise, people who believe that false teaching uh, of the heretics, uh, they're proving that they're not Christians either. They don't don't believe in the true Jesus either. So false teachers and people who follow the false teachers' false teaching are both unbelievers. Jesus, in fact, taught that plainly in John 8, 47. He says, He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them, because you are not of God. So in other words, if you have the Holy Spirit, you will hear and receive the word of God, the truth. If you do not have the Spirit, if you're not born again, you may believe false doctrine, and that would be evidence that you're not a believer. If you believe in a false Jesus in this case. So the bottom line here is this. True believers listen to and believe orthodox doctrine. Fake Christians are not followers of the truth and do not believe the truth. Okay, so this is dealing with issues that that divide, uh, doctrinal issues that divide a Christian from a non-Christian. These are vital issues. It's not just any old doctrinal issue, but issues, in this case, about who Jesus really is, issues concerning salvation and things of that nature about who God is. Those are the types of issues that John is speaking about here. Heresies, not just doctrinal errors that are small, but things that divide true Christianity from a heretical form of Christianity, one thing that actually denies the fundamentals of the faith. And John's saying pretty plainly, if you do not believe that Jesus is the Christ who has come in the flesh, that Jesus is truly God and truly man and the Savior, that's, that's, that crosses the line. That is somebody who is not believing true Christian teaching and is not a believer. So, what's the takeaway? What are we supposed to do with this teaching? He says, test the spirits, test the spirits, see if they're from God. He tells us many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, John wrote that, and it's no different today, is it? There's no shortage of examples that we could examine as an illustration of how to test doctrines that are out there in the world today. So what I want to do here as we conclude and uh, apply what we've learned from this text is look at just one example of a false teaching that is out there in the world. And I want you to look at the method of how we go about testing it and refuting it. Now, this could, this could apply to so many things. So there's, there's no way we have time to go through many, many examples. But just think about the method of how one would test the spirits by the word of God and refute them. So uh, there's, there's two main things that we need to look at when we're testing the spirits and when we're, when we're refuting false doctrine. Now, this, these two points could be elaborated in great detail uh, but we're just going to leave it as, as basic as we can because of the, the, the sake of time here. But here are the two things you have to do when testing doctrine and refuting what is false. The first is this. You need to show scriptures that contradict what the false teacher is teaching. So they teach something, you show scriptures that say, no, that's not consistent with what you're saying. Okay? And secondly, you want to show the faulty nature of the false teacher's arguments. Okay, so I'm going to illustrate this. So as an example, I want to present an argument that I've heard from people, um, and I want us to test it and refute it. 
Now, some of you are probably familiar with the false doctrine I'm going to be laying out here. Some of you may not be familiar with it. But let's just pretend that we've never heard this before, even if you have. Okay? You just meet a couple of guys on the street, and they start telling you what they believe is the truth about Jesus. Okay? You're talking about Jesus. And they say, listen, I don't care what you say. Jesus is not God. In fact, Jesus is Michael the archangel. He's the first and greatest being created by God. And therefore, what many Christians believe about Jesus isn't in fact true. Jesus isn't God after all. You say, okay, that's really interesting. Why, why would you say that? Why do you believe that? They say, listen, it's really straightforward. The Bible teaches that Michael is the only archangel that exists. There are no other archangels. Jude, Jude verse 9. But Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil about the body of Moses. So he's saying, look, the archangel, Michael, is the only archangel there is that exists. So that's number one. Michael's the only archangel. And guess what? It says about Jesus that Jesus has the voice of an archangel in 1 Thessalonians 4. It says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. They're saying, you do the math, man. There's one archangel, Michael. Jesus has the voice of that one archangel. He is that one archangel, Michael. Okay, so there's the argument. Jesus isn't God. He's Michael the archangel. So so what do we do with that? How do we test that doctrine? Whether you've heard it or not, let's pretend like we haven't. The teacher, notice, uses the Bible in his presentation. So how do we know? How can we test this? So we have to test it by the word of God, of course. Test the spirits to see if they are from God, John says. So how do we do this? Again, number one, we demonstrate, one, that the Bible teaches that Jesus is in fact God. And then two, we refute that argument that Jesus is Michael the archangel. Okay? So we can show those two things. You have thoroughly refuted that false teacher. So let's just do that in the few minutes that we have left. This, we could go into much greater detail to do this, but this should suffice. So the first is the Bible teaches that Jesus is God. This will be the way we show it. No, it, the Bible does in fact teach that Jesus is God and not a created being named Michael the Archangel. So Jesus is God. There's a number of ways we can prove this. I only can give you a few right now. One, Jesus is called God in the Bible many times. Some examples, John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, speaking of Jesus, of course, he's God. Colossians 2, 8 and 9. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. All the fullness of deity, godness, dwells in bodily form. There's a God in the flesh. 2 Peter 1.1, in the opening of the book, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind of ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, so first off, there's many more examples, but Jesus just flat out called God in the scriptures. Moreover, Jesus does things that only God can do, and he has the attributes that only God has. For example, Jesus is the creator of all things. John 1, 3, all things came into being through him, 
and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Okay, so everything that's coming into being is coming into being through Jesus. Now, who created all things? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus knows all things. When Peter was restored for his three times denying Jesus, he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Now, look with me at some texts here, because there's many more we could go through, but look at this together. One of my favorite arguments and, and proofs of Jesus being God is that the texts in the Old Testament that are about Yahweh, the New Testament applies to being about Jesus. So Jesus is Yahweh. I want to show you one together. Look at Psalm 102 real quick. Psalm 102. This is a prayer. If you look at the first verse of Psalm 102. He says this. Hear my prayer, O Yahweh, and let my cry for help come to you. Okay, so just getting our context here. The prayer is to Yahweh. Your translation probably has Lord in all capitals. That's Yahweh. Okay, L-O-R-D in all caps. That's Yahweh. Now look at verses 25 and 27 of Psalm 102. Speaking of Yahweh, of old you founded the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you endure, and all of them will wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them, and they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years, and your years will not come to an end. Now, there's, a, there's a psalm that's directed towards Yahweh, and it's even speaking about attributes of God that only he has, that he's eternal and doesn't change and things like that. So clearly, this is about Yahweh. There's really no debate over that. Now, what's fascinating and and super helpful here is if you turn over to Hebrews 1, I want you to notice how this very section of Psalm 102 is quoted and applied to who? God the Son, Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1, the author of Hebrews is quoting a number of Old Testament passages about Jesus. And he quotes this one. Look at verse 8, 8 to 12. And that's what he says in verse 8, Hebrews 1, 8. But of the Son, he says. So he's saying about Jesus, he says this. And then he quotes a couple of Old Testament verses. And he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And, and then he quotes Psalm 102, 25 to 27, what we just read. This is of the Son, or about the Son. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain, and they will all become, like, become old like a garment. And like a mantle, you'll roll them up like a garment. They will also be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. So you follow this. Psalm 102 is about Yahweh. Hebrews says it's about Jesus. So Jesus is Yahweh, according to the Bible. Now, there's, there's so many more reasons and verses we could go through, honestly. Many, 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 many more to demonstrate, look, what you're saying here that Jesus is not God is, in fact, inconsistent with Scripture. It says very plainly he is God in many, many ways. All the I am statements of Jesus and so on and so forth. So that's, that's settled with. You can say this isn't consistent with Scripture. Now, let's think about what's, up, what's the deal with the argument then? Let's refute the argument. Let's do step two here. Refute the argument that Jesus is Michael the archangel. How do we go about refuting that? Well, they say that Michael is the only archangel that exists. Have they proven that well? They say, because it says in Jude 9, Michael the archangel 
And that must mean that he's the only one that exists. Now, is that, is that good? Is that good reasoning? You might recall Paul in 2 Timothy speaking of a man called Alexander the coppersmith. Now, I wonder, is Alexander the only coppersmith that ever existed? No, it's just telling us what he did and who he was. Okay? Michael the archangel, what's that telling us about Michael? That he's an archangel. But it's not telling us that he is the only archangel that ever existed. Now, that by itself already makes the argument fall apart. But let's move on to the second point they make. Jesus has the voice of an archangel, according to 1 Thessalonians. Now, I would say that, no, uh, this verse can be read in a, in a different way. That uh, makes a lot of sense. It says that 1 Thessalonians 4.16 For the Lord himself, that's Jesus, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. So what this is saying is that Jesus, not the one necessarily shouting or shouting with the voice of an archangel or trumpeting the trumpet of God, but that Jesus is returning accompanied with those sounds, accompanied with the sound of a shout, the voice of an archangel, and the trumpet of God. So it's, it's saying that Jesus comes accompanied with the voice of an archangel. However, if we were just to grant that this is Jesus' voice, that it's talking about Jesus you know, shouting with the voice of an archangel, it's kind of a weird thing to say if Jesus was in fact an archangel. It's like saying, John spoke with the voice of a man. Well, well yeah, because he is a man, right? Wouldn't that be kind of odd? It makes more sense to be in a, a comparison, like somebody uh, shouted with the voice of a lion. You could say that, okay, they sh- shouted ferociously. It's a comparison. So even if it is speaking of, of Jesus' voice, it's saying he spoke with a commanding cry, like an archangel would, a, a leader of, of armies, so either way, it, it certainly is not proving that Jesus is an archangel. It's either he was accompanied with the sound of an archangel's voice or his voice was like an archangel. But we can see that because scripture teaches that Jesus is God rather plainly, and the fact is, is that there are many archangels, not just one named Michael, the whole argument falls apart and it's, it's a very, very, very weak argument. So that being said, I'm sure a number of you know that this uh, teaching... And this uh, argument is the arguments from Jehovah's Witnesses. That's Jehovah's Witness argument about who Jesus is. It's a heretical group, Jehovah's Witnesses are, who use the Bible to try to convince people that Jesus is not actually God. That would be an example of a modern-day issue that John would be addressing here, rejecting those teachers, rejecting those teachings who deny who Jesus really is. So we thought about how we address their teaching We'll look at what the Bible teaches about the issue and show that Jesus is, in fact, God. And we look at their argument and say, how are they misusing Scripture and their argument? So what we do is we test the spirits. We overcome false teachers because the Holy Spirit has enabled us to understand the truth of God's word. And that's what we do when anybody comes with some sort of false doctrine. Anybody who comes preaching, we test the spirits. Again, 1 John 4.1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So we have to have discernment is the big takeaway here. Discernment, let's examine things by the word of God. Now, discernment there takes hard work. 
It takes a lot of study of the word of God. You have to know what God actually says to be able to see what he has not said. And it takes prayer. You're going to pray for understanding. The Holy Spirit would help you. It takes God showing the truth to us via his word. So the takeaway here is this that we need to get. Don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe everyone, uh, everything that someone claims to be uh, biblical. Don't believe everything a Bible teacher says. Test what they are saying. You need to be a Berean, in other words. Be a Berean who examines the scriptures to see if what they're saying is true. So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who, who guides us into truth. We thank you, Jesus, for abiding in us and we in you that we hear your voice in scripture and we, and we recognize when people teach things contrary to your word. Pray that you would help us to do what you've commanded us here, to test the spirit, to not believe every spirit, but to test the teachings that are out there by your word, to use that test you gave way back in Deuteronomy that we should see, are these people teaching what is consistent with what you have revealed previously? So we thank you for your word. We thank you we have the Bible in our language that we can read and study it for ourselves and see your truth in it. I pray that you will sharpen us, help us to be able to give answers for those who, who contradict what is true, help us to see clearly uh, the truth of your word and, and, and reject those who teach things that are not from you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.